Welcome to the Two Cent Dad podcast, where we interview dads to discuss their journeys of intentional fatherhood while doing work they care about and living a life of purpose. I'm your host, Mike Sudik. Be purposeful about how they're living their lives. So choose to live how you're going to live. And if you want to go buy a house in the suburbs, that's great if that's what you want to do and you're doing it on purpose. We weren't doing it on purpose. We were doing it because that's kind of was the expected thing. On this episode, I talk with Michael Boink. Michael has spent the last five years traveling the U.S. with his family in an RV while running a software consultancy. We talk about selling your house, ditching suburbia, and launching your first child into the world. Let's jump into the interview with Michael. So, so uh, tell me a little bit about kind of your background. Start start at the beginning, I guess, like before you guys did your whole adventure. That was about five years ago, right? Yeah, I'm in the road five yeah. years. So if I go yeah. back to 2002, um, prior to 2002, we were pretty much a really typical West Michigan young family. I was working at a big furniture company in the area. I had the, the cushy corporate job. Um, two kids, you know, the boy and the girl. We had the house in the suburbs. Um, and we're really pretty, pretty normal, pretty, pretty normal, normal in those <laughs> terms, normal shifted by now. Um, but pretty average. I mean, and, and, you know, nothing really unusual about us. And then that cushy corporate job kind of went away in the wake of nine 11. So the whole office furniture market shrank and the company I was with shrank to, I think less than half of uh, the employee count that they'd been before. So I found myself, uh, you know, coming home, my wife's going like, well, why are you home early? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's like, uh, well, I don't have a job anymore. So um, so we got to figure out what we're going to do. So coming out of that, I, I started um, a business and started working out of the house. And so that was kind of our first sort of detour from average or normal is that you know, we started a business. And then in there also started homeschooling. So that widens the gap a little more from from the normal route for most folks. Um, so for a number of years, we're all in the house together. I'm I'm downstairs working. The kids and, and my wife are upstairs schooling, you know, getting together for meals or for time outside or whatever. And somewhere in there, we can't remember exactly when the idea occurred to us, but so it occurred to us at some point that the only thing really holding us in West Michigan is this house. And, yeah, and some friends and, you know, church connections and that kind of thing. But primarily it was the house. And uh, we just we cooked up this pipe dream we called it of hitting the road and uh, more so as like a homeschooling adventure just you know imagine from a homeschooling perspective what you could go do in a year if you could travel by rv like rather than learn about gettysburg out of books we could just go there and walk around and see it in person so that was the idea initially it was just going to be a one-year deal um and then we got out for, I don't know, I think it was about our sixth or seventh month when you realize just how big this country is <laughs> and how much cool stuff there is and what we were just, what we had seen so far, but what we hadn't seen yet. And we realized a year just wasn't going to be enough. And and that and there was like no reason to go back. Um, we didn't, you know, we liked life on the road. We liked the, the variety of it. And we, we did well living in a small space. There were just no big reasons to stop after a year. So we completed the year and then um, actually went back and sold our house that we'd kept for that first year and kind of completely moved into the, the nomadic living. Mm-hmm. 
So was this, was it either yours or your wife's idea or was it a, a pretty mutual thing or like, did you conceive it and then kind of had to talk her into it or? Um, it was probably my idea. I tend to be the, the big idea person in the family and then she kind of puts the practicalities around those ideas. So it probably came from me initially. However, she grew up camping in a pop-up trailer. Uh, so it had been, already been in the campground scene. So the, the idea was not foreign to her. And she by no means, I, I mean, a lot of guys are like, oh, I'd love to do that, but I'd never be able to get my wife to do it. She wasn't like that at all. She's like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. That's very cool. So you said about the six month you guys got in and then you really were like, this is going to be more than a year. I mean, it's that was the point that you kind of yeah. saw that a little bit more. Yeah. So by six months in, I, we were in Colorado at the time. Or I can remember the little town and campground we were in when we, when we sat down as a family and just went okay i think we're going to do this uh, we're going to do it more than a year what do you guys think and having that conversation um but it was just especially once you get out west in the country just realize how many places there are to go and many national parks there are to see and just the the vast variety of beauty in this country is just astounding yeah so how's it been like then the next past that you know homeschooling and you, I know you guys write a lot about that that whole community of full time RVers. You know that's a yeah. you know talk a little bit about that. I mean that's that's a unique experience, kind of being welcomed in a whole new world of of people that are. I actually spent you know I went I, my family when I was about ten did a thirteen month trip around the U S. Similar to what you guys oh, okay. were doing. I was homeschooled, but they it was supposed to be a three month trip it turned into a thirteen month <laughs> trip. Same thing. Uh, yeah, so it was. But I found it very, you know, eye-opening just from seeing a lot of different spots. You just go to all these landmarks, like you said. You, you know, you you see it. You don't just read about it in textbook. Right. But it sounds right. like you guys have even more so kind of been your eyes open to a whole different way of living, a whole different like sub-community of people. Which yeah. that's what you're all about, though, right? I mean, that's your. <laughs> I really saw us like that first year. Like, okay, we're going to be out on the road, and yeah, we'll be in campgrounds, and there'll be some other people around. But by and large, this is about us taking on the world. And going off and doing this big adventure. Um, totally did not expect to make as many friends and as many connections as we have. Like we have we have more friends now and, and deeper friendships now than when we were in the suburbs. And that totally caught us by surprise. So there, as it turns out, there's a fair number of people. I mean, that's kind of what we're building Dishing Suburbia around. There's a fair number of people who who through some fashion decide on a different lifestyle for their family and rv is really popular i think of all the, the different modes that we look at we find the most rvers because it just it makes sense for a family it's pretty affordable it's pretty you can get your arms around it it's not like you have to learn to sail when you don't know how to sail you can mm-hmm. pretty easily conceptualize you know driving a, just a bigger vehicle i think it's it's one of those things where you know when you, you buy a new car and you suddenly realize how many of those cars there are on the road that you didn't see before we're trying to figure out: Are we seeing more families because we're looking for them, or are there seeing? Are we seeing more families because there actually are more families out there? And I think it's probably a bit of both. You've got the intersection of homeschooling becoming more popular, with uh, location independence and technology enabling jobs to become you know more popular and easier to get. Those are pr- the primary pillars of being able to ditch the suburbs. So what what has it been like? Um, like as you find those people, you know, you find people that are kind of like new into it, or people have been doing it for five you know, five plus years, you know, like how do you, how have you found that the challenges have changed over those years? Like, you know, first you're kind of eye open and now it's, I mean, how, how has that changed over those, you know, the first couple of years of that journey for you guys? It's ever changing. And that's, what's just so interesting. Um, so a large part of it is you've got kids who are grown up. Like we literally raised teens on the road. So we left when they were 12 and just barely 13. 
So we, we raise teenagers while moving and that's its own challenge and puzzle. And then, um, you know, launching my son off on his own is now put us in this new, this new mode. I didn't realize he was, he was really good at, um, translating directions he was seeing on the GPS and the map to what was actually in, happening in real time. Mm-hmm. So we, we learned pretty much if he from the backseat piped up with that's your exit, like he was usually right. Uh, so without him there now, it's kind of refactoring out just the navigation. You know, we've <laughs> just this morning, we spent 20 minutes going around this five mile circle to come right back past the stop, the, the spot we started from uh, <laughs> before moving on down the road. And I think if he had been there, that probably wouldn't have happened. But so stuff like that is just, it's ever changing. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, tell me about tell me about how that's like affected your like one of the things that just popped in my mind is the with the with the homeschooling especially people mm-hmm. one of the biggest things people talk about is a social dynamic that kids get in school or appear, allegedly get in school whether good or bad yeah. you know and <laughs> yep, right. and you know how has that been I guess you know you guys have done it just on the road with most of your teenagers so you don't know a difference with you know the right. norm so to speak yeah. but. How has that been? How do you feel like the kids have handled that, and how has that kind of affected your your parenting? I don't. Know. I mean, can, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, what's been the challenges to that? Or yeah, it was good we had two kids because uh, they they really did become close. I mean, that was one mm-hmm. of the goals I had for this whole experience is I want our family to be close, and and we felt that you know things that are closer are harder to rip apart. So I think the process of launching our oldest, maybe we felt it more deeply than we would have otherwise because he was very much an integral part of our day-to-day life. I mean, we each have jobs when we're setting up the RV to either get it on the road or to put it in a parking spot. And with him gone, like we, we immediately re- realize that we have to refactor out who does what. And we don't have a good rhythm there yet. Um, but with him gone now, my daughter is, she was just asking today, are we going to meet any families anytime soon? Cause she's getting a little lonely for some kid interaction. And I didn't hear that before. So that's definitely another another product of moving the boy out is that she's now an only child, essentially, mm-hmm. not yes but no, um, and but just trying to figure out now how do we make sure that she doesn't get you know too lonely for teen interaction. So, you know, it's we're getting in towards winter, which is usually easier. The, the thing with winter is all the RVing families compress south where it's warm. Mm. So you're usually much more likely to run into other families traveling during the winter than during the summer when we're all kind of dispersed out through the whole country. So as we're heading south, I know the, the chances are that we'll meet up with some other families. And and she's really great. She has a good time even if the kids are younger. So most of the traveling families have kids um, kind of from 6 to 10 is the, the sweet spot. And she does really well at that age. Um, so even just being around some younger kids will be good for her too. So. So yeah, we've we've done well there in the past. We've been able to find community. You have to purpose to do it. That's it's actually one of the reasons we started following as many other traveling family blogs as we could, so we could kind of keep an eye on where they're at and then purpose to meet them if they were close by. Um, so you you can do it, and I think we're going to have to start purposing to do it here pretty quickly, just to because we've I mean we left Michigan about five weeks ago and we haven't met up with another family since, really. So. It's time again. <laughs> so, so you then get you kind of connect with people and then reconnect with them and kind of follow where they're at. So that's what you're saying. You kind of follow them and right, right. So we've we've met um, a couple families where you know we we met them in Arizona initially and then caravaned with them through Oregon and Washington, and then a couple months later we reconnect in Kentucky and caravan out through Washington D.C. and so it's it's kind of a 
shift in thinking. You know, in the past, I would think about you know a friend and immediately associate that friend with a location. Like, oh, that person, they live in St. Louis. So, you know, if I ever go through there, I'll know to call that person. With these people, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's variable. So you have memories of that friend in, you know, eight different states. That's very cool. That That's really neat. And you said that that's actually closer knit of a group of people than even, you know, when you were just living in suburbia in Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. And you, you'll hear common threads. We've heard common threads from, like, uh, from the other sailing families and from tiny house families I think once you purposely make a decision to step outside of the norm for your family, you know, looking for other families that have done that is natural. But I think y'all kind of share personality traits. Certainly there's shared goals and motivations. Um, that's one of the reasons when, you know, we're kind of, with Ditching Suburb, we were trying to build a community that kind of encompasses other smaller communities. So right now there's there's already existing communities for full-time RV families. Or there's already communities for full-time boating families. We see those as the same community. Uh, we, we just happen to choose a different mode uh, to move ourselves about. But we're, the, we're similar people because we have similar goals for why we chose to do what we did. You know, we want we want uh, better homeschooling experiences for our kids. We want closer family. We want less distraction from you know, from pop culture and, and media. Uh, we're tired of school systems. You know, really, you know, taking up too much of our kids' time and our family time. Yeah. Um, we're tired of you know slogging away at a day job to pay for a house that we're hardly ever in. So, those common function, you know, those commonalities sent us searching for different ways to live. You know, we may have found differences uh, in what those look like, but those those core um, core reasons for doing it are all the same. So, how do you pay the bills then, Mike? Uh, a number of ways. I have a web development company, so Boink Interactive. Uh, that's the company I started back in 2002, uh, coming out of the corporate world. And then to that, we've added a training company. So a trainee, we've, uh, we've done training classes and stuff as we move around. And we've got a book there that sells, um, they call it passive income. I always hate that term because, man, it was a lot of work to write that book. It was, <laughs> there was no passiveness there. It's delayed income. Um, and then uh, we're starting to monetize Ditching Suburbia a little bit. And the goal is to write another book there and, and have that be another income source as well. So we're... We're just trying to build up those multiple little trickles of income so that mm. we kind of equalize everything out. Yeah. What would what would you say is the biggest critique that you get, if if any, from either friends or family members, especially when you were first starting out, like experimenting with this, even in the first couple of months, and then maybe you made the switch? Like, what was? Did you get any critiques or anyone saying like, you know, you're gonna you're just gonna screw up your kids or that's stupid or, I mean, what what? We, had, <laughs> we only had a couple, and we hear boy, we hear stories. And I guess we just have great extended families. We had we had one mother-in-law who wasn't happy that we were kind of taking her grandkids away from her. Um, but other than that, we only had a couple random comments, one from someone at our church that we were we were going to lose our daughter because we were just kind of cloistering her from, from the real world. And then same thing, I think there was, there was someone I posted about my son not being able to play like team sports. And somebody really thought that was horrible. Uh, and thought he would just, you know, suffer drastically for that. But other than that, and then those were just, you know, those are two comments over five years. Usually we get, oh, that's really cool. That's awesome for your kids. And we're like, hey, it's pretty cool for the parents too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but most people that we run into see it just as a great educational opportunity for kids. Um, and just, I guess we do get the outcome. And just what about the social aspect and people just, you know, but that's, you get that as a homeschooler anyway, so that's hardly different being a being a nomadic homeschooler. 
Um, but yeah, we've heard some horror stories about extended family and extended friends. Um, well, and even uh, we've got some friends who there's a case of a divorce and the, the ex took the, the they, they had actually moved into a trailer, started living kind of the way we're living, and the ex got involved and brought him back to court, and they had to stop traveling because of, because of that situation. So it, it can go to that extreme for some folks too. Sure. So what's been like looking at, you know, kind of critiques, but like what has been some of the, the biggest struggles you guys have had? You know, sounds all rosy, but what's been? <laughs> yeah, it's not all rosy. Um, and we, we try to, we really try to paint a realistic picture as we blog too. And it's been a lot of travel the past couple of weeks too. So that's like the good stuff again. But um, it does, I mean, the, one of the biggest struggles is decision fatigue. I mean, literally when you can wake up and go anywhere, mm. it can be overwhelming deciding where to go. And I think there's a lot of, you can almost trade suburban house envy for trip envy. Like you watch other people and they go out to all the national parks and they're boondocking these awesome locations. And and if that mode doesn't quite work for you, you can still feel some angst over not being able to do that. And so we had to, we had to work through the process of not trading house envy for trip envy. And actually the first year we had to learn how to never say we're missing anything. We learned to say that we're leaving it for a future visit. Because otherwise you just, you know, you can't stop in every town and you can't go to every last attraction. It's it's not vacation, but it look when you get to someone's town, you know, you should go do this, 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 and this. And you're like, well, you just added up, you know, admission prices for five different things in the course of a week. That's 600 bucks. I don't have that, you know, handy to go, you know, gallivanting around your town for a week. You know, we need like one of those things, maybe if it looks really good. Yeah. Um, so that, that's been a challenge. It's just learning that a, you don't have to do everything in a town. It's actually great to leave a few things if you come around again, so you can find still find some new things to do there. And b, you don't you don't have to be interested in the things that people say you should be interested in. We actually just had this. We went to a national monument. It was um, the the Indian effigy effigy mounds national monument in Iowa. I and mean, we try to go to national parks and national monuments as we travel around. And like I'm trying to I, like I appreciate the history, so they're they're earthen mounds. They were they were made by you know a civilization who lived long ago. Um, you know I can appreciate the history of them, but we went to look at them, and they're really just bumps in a lawn. <laughs> you know, like you know, I don't want to mock them, but on the other hand, as we've been traveling, there's been more mounds. And I'm like, I, I don't need to see more mounds. I mean, they're I, you know I can't get a great picture of them. They're really just bumps in grass. Um, that's great that we're protecting them, but I don't need to go look at them. And I don't, I don't need to be interested in that. And I don't have to feel bad for not being interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Especially when you get that over and over again at each stop, everyone's real excited about one thing that you need to go see. And then it's not really that yeah. good. <laughs> you know, we realize that we're not all that interested in architecture. A lot of, a lot of towns have these historic houses. Well, you know, we've been to a couple of them and I'm, I'm not a super huge architecture buff, it's another old house, you know, it's another old, you know, I'm not actually all that big on houses in general. Uh, so the fact that it's old is only mildly interesting. So, but there's still a little bit of guilt over all that stuff that you think that you should be interested in, but as it turns out, you're just not. Yeah. You're not interested in houses because that's why you're not, that's why you don't own one, right? <laughs> so, right, right. Like I, I worked really hard to get rid of my house. Yeah. And, <laughs> So, so looking at like your, you know, you said you just launched your son, you know, off and is he going to college or what's his, what's his plans then? 
He's not. He took a uh, factory job back in Holland. Actually, it's the company that laid me off. <laughs> <laughs> he went back to work for them on, on the assembly line, which I'll admit as the homeschooling dad, I had a little bit of angst over that. I think you sure. know, because we, as homeschoolers, we invest so much in our kids and you tell yourself that, okay, it's their life and they need to make their own decisions. But in the back of your head, you're like, Oh, but you're going to be so much better than a public school kid. You know, you're going to ace those tests and get in a great, you know, scholarship or whatever. And that just wasn't his path. And, it, you know, it wasn't a huge thing for me, but there was a couple of days where I just had to kind of work through that. I mean, the crazy thing is he's doing exactly what I did at his age. I went out of high school. Actually, I tried college for a semester and a half and it just didn't work for me at that point. So I quit college and I went to school or went to work in a factory exactly like what he's doing. And that was I did that for about a year and a half, uh, I think, and I still remember, I, I call it my workbench moment. I was at a workbench slapping stain on boat parts, and across the workbench from me was a guy who was probably in his mid-50s slapping stain on boat parts, and it just hit me like a rock at that point. Like, if I don't do something now, I'm that guy. I'm that guy in another 20 years, and I don't want to be that guy. This work is not fulfilling me. So that was the moment I decided to go back to school for the second time and did that. And so I'm fully expecting that he will probably have a similar moment. But coming out of that moment, you're, he'll be way more motivated. Um, the other nice thing is if he can actually hold out and do the job, they, they have 100% tuition reimbursement. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what happened with the labor market in West Michigan, but every factory there is hiring. It was, it was crazy. Um, every big building we went by had, had, you know, were hiring signs out there. So it, the result of that is they're very flexible. They're willing to work with him. If he needs to flex a schedule to go to college, they're, they're willing to do that now. And I remember in years ago, that wasn't, it wasn't that way. Um, so that would be a great benefit for him because the other puzzle that we've been trying to solve is how do we not launch our kids down a path where they end up with like $35,000 in school debt coming out as a senior. Cause that's just, that's really hard to, to launch out on as your own, you know, as your fully realized adult to have that kind of debt load. You know, we had, I got out debt free because I worked my way through college, but my wife had school loans and it took us forever to pay those things off. And yeah. to do to do that while you're also trying to, you know, buy a house or have kids or start a business, is just, it's disheartening to have yeah. those payments too. So, so we're really trying to counsel him or coach him to find ways to get through that process to get, you know, into whatever career he wants, um, but not, not to incur that kind of debt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's like, that's the, it's the projected path for you for as like a new high school grad, you know, and that's, yeah. it just, it's interesting to see you guys have taken an intentional, different approach to where you're at, you know, in your, mm -hmm. you know, you're saying, hey, I don't want the, the normal corporate life and I don't want the house. But then how does that trickle down to their decisions that they make? And it's already yeah. kind of different because he's not just going to college right away, you know, and it's not the right. default and not default straddling with loans, you know, right. As right. well, so you know, he was talking about college, but like he was he was more interested in college because of some of the activities that went on on the on the college campus. I'm like, that's great that you want to be interested in those, but what's the minimum buy-in? Can you take one class and have a student ID and then go do those activities that you want to go do? So you're yeah. only into it for the one for the one class rather than entering in this four-year degree program that you really don't want anyway. Um, and then he just he hasn't been 100% clear on what he on the career that he wants. It kind of is still in that mode where it's shifting around. He's still figuring it out. We're like, well, just don't go to college yet then. Or if you do just, you know, find a community college 
take the entry level classes and kind of get those out of the way before you go down and get the more expensive classes. But you know, I think we're starting to see. Um, I'm starting to see a lot of kind of alternate educational approaches out there, um, just different ways to get an education that don't involve a classic four-year degree at a at a state college. Um, there's like I went and toured. There's a school in uh, Pittsburgh where they are offering degrees, but they don't own real estate uh, because it's actually it's the real estate costs that drive up so much of the college costs. Um, so they're just trying to take an alternate approach to getting people degrees that don't involve so much debt. That's very neat. I mean, is that, that's, are you seeing that more because you're in the, that, you know, network of people that are kind of doing different things? I mean, like what, what are some of the people that are in your same, same spot doing the RV full-time RV thing with kids that are going out to college age? You know, what, are they taking some (laughs) unique approaches or they just... No, the, the problem is we're one of the few that have kids that old. So most oh, okay. of the families that are doing it have younger kids. Uh, we only know of a couple other families with kids that are our age. And as we were just working through this as he was launching out. We're like, well, here's the ones that we know. And of those, I don't think, you know, but a couple of them have actually gone on to college. Some of them have just gone and started jobs. We know some that went into the military. So there's some uh, different approaches there. But, and so we were, my wife and I were actually having that conversation. Like, are we ruining our kids for a normal life? <laughs> you know, if they want to go to college, are we, are we not setting them up for that? But um, I don't think that's the case. It may take him a little more work. If he decides that he wants to go down, down the classical path of a college degree, there'll probably be a little more prep work to get there just to have what the college needs coming in. Um, but I don't think it's out of his reach. Well, yeah, that you make an interesting point, though. It's, you're ruining them for a normal life, but you're, <laughs> you're you're ruining them if you just saddle them with debt unknowingly, too. You know, with college yeah. debt, so it's like it's not it's not. Yeah, one, there's for what you know what a lot of people accept as normal. We just question and go, why? <laughs> like, why why are we sending our kids off to college to to do that to them? It doesn't make sense to us. But yet, so many people just seem to. It's it, we call it the formulas. You know, there's these formulas that have always worked in the past, like. You know, home ownership is a formula that worked for so many people, um, but we don't think those formulas are always viable anymore. But people still kind of believe in them. Yeah. So, so you have you know older kids that are headed out to college. Like, what? Looking back, you know, you had you got into this what five years ago, a little bit before when your kids mm-hmm. were already in the teen years. You know, looking yeah. at, at at giving advice to like a young father of like you know, my kids are two year old and four year old. Mm. Um, so they're pretty young and that's kind of yeah. the, the, the realm of guys that I'm kind of looking at for this, this project. But what would you, what would you say to those, those guys, you know, given what you know, given your, the, the community you're in now and all the lessons yeah. you've learned over the last five years, you know, what, what are some of the pieces of advice you'd give? I think, you know, the only thing that we would have done differently is we would have started younger, but I don't think as young as you've got, um, at least for us, I know those early years were tough years and, like especially at two, you know, to be dropping yourself into a new situation, a new campground, a new town that often. I mean, I know for us that would have been very stressful uh, to feel like you almost have to have your kid on a leash <laughs> so they don't wander yeah, off. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, at that age, I think we would have, for us, we would have just have probably stayed put uh, in the life that we were at. Six, seven, eight, where they're, and, and depending on the personality of the kids too, that's always the other thing. Um, you know, my son has always been very aware, even from a baby, like he, if someone walked into the room as a baby, he would notice. So he's just always had that situational awareness. My daughter, not so much. 
Um, so just from a personality difference, we could have been easier. It would have been easier with him when he was younger than, than she would have been. But, you know, I guess the stuff that I would like to tell the younger me, <laughs> like the me when I was your age, is just question those formulas earlier. There were just there was a decade where I just sort of sleepwalked, I think, and did the norm and did those formulas. I, you know, I, I tried and kind of got into that corporate world and figured, well, this is it. This is kind of where everybody says you should be at. Um, you know, I got a college degree, so I should have a corporate job. And boy, you get into this company that's supposed to be really good and really, really reliable. And um, you know, you're kind of set for life with that corporate job. And then you need the house, and then you need. The, we were actually looking for the bigger house the week I got laid off. Because we were that stupid, we didn't see like rounds of layout. <laughs> I was in the third round of layoffs, and I was still out looking for a new house, not not imagining that I might be next. Um, <laughs> so that that kind of awareness would have been nice when I was younger. But um, it's just, I guess that's kind of what it boils down to: is just question things, question why you're doing stuff. You know, does the does the life that you're building really align with what you want to do, or are you just kind of being reactionary and taking what's coming and, and doing kind of what everybody else is doing? Because that was us, you know, that was us in our thirties. Totally, we were just kind of doing what everyone else was doing. Do you think? I mean, do you think that's like a, a risk aversion thing, or it's just that you don't know any better? Is it like your eyes aren't open to that, the options that are there? Or I think all of the above. I mean, I think one of the one of the benefits of the internet, you know, because we realize we're the we're the last generation of parents who remember life before the internet, raising the first generation of kids who don't know life without it. So we're in this kind of weird sandwich generation kind of in a different way. Um, but the internet just brings awareness of so many alternatives that in the past, you know, I know, I know we had the internet when we were, you know, 10 years ago or whatever too, but we just didn't have that awareness for whatever reason. We just were not looking outside of our bubble. It just seems like the internet has just more things cross your bow than without it, like more alternate ways of living, more people doing different things. It's easier to find those stories than it used to be. But some of that too, I think, you know, my wife and I are also first generation college attendees in our respective families. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of it was, we just didn't grow up with that bigger vision. And, and that's not meant to, you know, I don't intend to, slam either of our parents they did the best that they could with the tools that they knew but um even just going through college is an eye-opening you know experience to the, the bigger world that's out there and um but having said that you know we didn't we weren't in families that were really encouraging us to look outside the box either you know i think we were just what we were doing i think was what they expected us to do having you know gone to college and gotten degrees the continual escalation almost say so you have a better yeah, life and right, you right. try to go for more. Yeah. 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 Very cool. What do you, what do you, what do you hope your kids got out of all of that? That's probably an unfair question to ask, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, on the one thing that's funny, I, my running joke with them is you don't fully grasp what you're doing yet. And it'll probably be another decade before you do like, you know, I, I keep telling him I expect a phone call on the day you turn 30 going, holy cow, that was just amazing. And it just hit me now what it was. Um, but I think mainly I just I want them to just have that bigger perspective and to not not live their lives. Um, I don't even say that. Be purposeful about how they're living their lives. So choose to live how you're going to live. I mean, if you want to go buy a house in the suburbs, that's great if that's what you want to do and you're doing it on purpose. We weren't doing it on purpose. We were doing it because that's kind of was the expected thing. 
And that's where I think we went awry and that I'd, I'd rather see them be purposeful about that. You know, because even, you know, I look back, even um, even how we lived in the suburbs, we could have we could have done it so much better. We just weren't thinking that way. You know, we, we stopped and visited some friends in Iowa and uh, they were a classic house in the suburbs in a cul-de-sac. And we were going to grill up some uh, some burgers for dinner. And they, they had a beautiful back deck in the house. But when he went to get his grill out, he dragged it out of the garage. I'm like, I'm like Matt, isn't it like a law in the suburbs you have to keep your grill on the back on the back porch? He's like, yeah, I know that's what everyone else does. But when I do it out front, we set up extra chairs and neighbors show up. Cool. That's very you know, cool. Yeah. And I went, you're a genius. You know, I just I never thought that way when I lived in the suburbs. So if we were going to do that again, we would definitely do more things like that because we hardly knew our neighbors. And that, that bugs me now. But we didn't take any action to get to know them better either. It's so true, though. I mean, it's like you're you're focused on other things. You're, everyone's kind of just following the path. They're not doing those yeah. outside of the norm things like grilling right. in the front, you know. Right. And I think back then my, my thinking was, well, I don't want to plan a neighborhood picnic and pass flyers around. You know, that all sounds like too much work. It's just never going to happen. But if when I go out to grill burgers, I do it in front of my house and I throw a couple extra burgers out on the grill and I set up two extra chairs and people show up, that would have been easy to do. Yeah. Little things. Yeah. Little things. Yeah. Little things. And, and for us back then too, I think we, we were so afraid of our house not living up to the standards. Like we never wanted to have people over cause it never felt like it was done. Mm. And we look back now and go, it was just really stupid because no one cares about your house. Yeah. Because you know, their house doesn't feel done either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just thinking the same thing you're thinking. And they're yeah. like, wow, this is more done than my house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, it just doesn't matter. You know, we, we visit now around campers and, and campgrounds and it doesn't matter what the house is. Yeah. Very cool. Well, hey, what, what would be a closing like last word if you had to have like a little last last little snippet here, Mike? You know, I, there's buzzwords that I hate because they get used so, so much. But just to live intentionally, intentionally choose your lifestyle and don't be afraid to choose something different if, if what everyone else thinks is normal just doesn't feel right for you. Yeah, very wise words. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find out more about us and sign up to receive updates at twocentdad.com. If you liked what you heard or just want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at mike at twocentdad.com. Please leave a review on iTunes if you like the show. It helps us to get the word out to the most people possible. The podcast production is done by Maria Van Dyken, and the show is made possible through the support of EC Group International, building software teams since 1999.